The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Reverend Chuck Tedrick, Dean of Students at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning. Welcome. It is uh, my pleasure to kick off a series that we're going to go through this on Tuesday mornings during chapel on prayers. Not so much on praying, but different prayers from Scripture. And it's my privilege and honor to be able to do the lion's share of those devotionals. But then we also have some guests who will be coming in as well. And then on uh, Thursdays, we'll be going through a different series in the, in the chapels, and I'll uh, introduce those uh, to us on, on Thursday. But it's my pleasure uh, to be able to, to bring a prayer to you of, of Jesus, really. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I just really want to hone in on a few verses there, but I want to just remind us of the context that Jesus is here having the Passover with his disciples, which is really the last of the Old Covenant ceremonies, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, which is the first of the uh, sacraments of the New Covenant era. And then the disciples have an argument amongst themselves about who the greatest is. And then we have this passage that I want to look at this morning in Luke 22, starting in verse 31, where um, it says in the ESV, at least, it says that Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And I titled this sermon, I, I Prayed for You. We want to look at a prayer that Jesus has here in particular. So here now, if you will, the authoritative and inerrant and infallible word of God. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. I'll read 31 through 34, and then we'll hit a couple other passages as well. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you denied three times that you know me. And then the very next scene is where Jesus says that all of scripture must be fulfilled and he pulls from a passage in Isaiah pointing forward to him. And then Jesus goes into the garden uh, to pray, and that's, Lord willing, what we'll look at next Tuesday. And he encourages the, the disciples to pray that they may not enter into temptation. And then Judas betrays Jesus, you remember, with a kiss in the garden, and one of uh, the disciples laps off someone's ear. And then I want to look and read again in verse 54. Starting in verse 54 of Luke 22, it says, Then they seized him, meaning Jesus, and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. 
But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisting, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearing. I just want to look briefly at three things with you this morning in the time that we have together in our devotional. An ominous prophecy, a cataclysmic fall, and a peaceful restoration, if you will. An ominous prophecy, a cataclysmic fall, and a peaceful restoration. Well, first, there's this ominous prophecy by the Lord. Right after Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, and actually John's Gospel records that Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, the disciples find themselves in what can only be called a ridiculous argument amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And I submit to you that if you're arguing with people about who is the greatest, it's not you, right? And ever, if we find ourselves in the context arguing about which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom, we have missed something significant. And Jesus asked them the question, is it the one who reclines at table or the one who serves who is the greatest? And conventional wisdom would, of course, say it's the one who reclines at table, the one who everyone is serving is the greatest. But Jesus' kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the world, and things are flipped He is the one who is here to serve. He is the one who just washed their feet. He is the one who just instituted the Lord's Supper and said that this bread is broken for you. This is my body which is broken for you. This is the blood that is shed for you. And he's on his way right then to go to the cross to serve them to the utmost by giving his life for them as a substitute for them. It's crazy that this conversation came up right after Jesus had done these things. Obviously, leadership in the kingdom of Jesus is one of self-giving and self-sacrifice, of loving and serving others, not of self-promotion. And so the Lord here actually looks and he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." The first you there in that passage when he says that uh, Satan demanded to have you is really a Texas y'all, right? I've prayed for y'all. I've prayed for all y'all, the, the 12 of them, the disciples. Satan wanted to have them. He wanted to destroy the church in its infancy, the disciples who had followed Jesus. And the first all is the Texas y'all. But the second you in the passage is you singular, but I have prayed for you, looking at Peter, that your faith may not fail. And notice here that he uses his pre-Christian name twice, Simon, Simon. Just a few chapters earlier, he had changed his name. No longer do I call you Simon, but I call you Peter, and on you I will build my kingdom. But here, talking about the radical temptation that this brother is going to enter into, he says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. And Satan is a powerful and hateful adversary of the church and of the kingdom and of the seed from the very beginning. All of scripture is unfolding the drama of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. 
And the last time we saw Satan in Luke's gospel when was with Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And now here he is again. The final days, the final chapters of Christ's earthly ministry trying to stop this from happening yet again and it will be foiled. And what was Peter's response? When Jesus said, you are going to betray me, but I have prayed for you, did he say, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm so relieved. I know I couldn't do this on my own. I know I couldn't do this in my own strength. I know that I would fall away. Is that what he says? Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Philip Ryken said in his commentary that Peter is often in error, but he is rarely in doubt. (laughs) There's pride here. There's hubris. There's self-confidence. Peter thinks, I've got this. I've got this. Jesus had just told them that Satan demanded to have him. But I prayed for you. And then he says, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I I got this. I'm I'm ready to go to death with you. I, I can do this. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. It's a rather ominous prophecy and a rather ominous prediction about what's going to happen. And then Jesus pulls from Isaiah unpacking a scripture that is pointing to his fulfillment and being crushed for them. And then he goes, as was his custom, the scripture says, to pray. And he tells the disciples to pray with him that they may not enter temptation. And then, you know the story, the disciples fall asleep. And Lord willing, we're going to look at that a little more next week. But the next thing we want to look at is a cataclysmic fall after this ominous prophecy by our Lord and Savior Jesus. While Jesus was still speaking to the disciples, it says, while he's wondering, why have you fallen asleep? I've called you to come with me, to pray with me, and I've encouraged you, I've exhorted you, I've even commanded you to pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, the crowd came, and Judas was with them to betray him with a kiss. And Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And the disciples say, Lord, shall we strike him with a sword? And before Jesus even answers, here's a good moment to pause for a lesson. If you ask Jesus a question, wait for the answer. (laughs) Right before he even answers the question, they pull out the sword and one of them lops off an ear. You have to wonder, is this great aim or poor aim, right? Is that the precision of just being able to get off the ear? Did this fisherman intend to lop off his head and miss? But Jesus says no more of this. This is not how my kingdom comes. It doesn't come with a sword. It comes by the word. It comes by the spirit. It comes through the gospel. And so Jesus heals the man. He touches his ear and he healed him. How humbling to think that in the midst of everything that was going on in Jesus' life right then and the agony with which he had just agonized in his prayer on the way to the cross that he was sensitive to those around him physically healing one as well as on his way to the cross to endure the cup of wrath for his disciples. And notice here that our text says that Peter was following at a distance. I wonder if there's something to that. I'm hoping one of you write a paper on that and I get to read that sometime. Peter was following at a distance. He had just been right next to Jesus saying, I'm willing to go with you to death and forward into the breach. And now he's following at a distance after this happened. 
And so Peter ends up in a courtyard. And Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter's first denial was when a servant girl saw him seated, asked him, or she said, this man also was with Jesus. And Peter says, woman, I do not know him. Immediately and quickly, the text says, without much of a real threat. This time there isn't a soldier with a sword, but just a, a girl by the fire that he didn't even know, just implying that he knew Jesus. And he says, I do not know him. This is a cataclysmic fall, isn't it? This is really a denial of Jesus personally. Someone whom he knew, someone whom he loved, someone whom he had been with by this time for at least three years. And then the second denial, just a little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. This time it's not only a denial of Jesus, is it, but I'm not part of his band of brothers. I'm not one of these disciples. I'm not part of these people. I'm not part of this organized religion, this group. And then third, about an hour later, still another insisted. Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is Galilean. And Peter says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Not only is this a denial of Jesus and being his disciple, it's a denial of even knowing the facts of the case about what is going on or who he is. That's the way it is with sin, isn't it? It also escalates or compounds. When we compromise one time, it gets easier and easier each subsequent time, doesn't it? He didn't want to be associated with Jesus. He didn't want to be associated with his brothers. He didn't want to associate it even with the facts. R.C. Sproul said that sometimes we all want to be secret agents of Jesus, don't we? We don't want people to know. Immediately, while he was still speaking, while those words were coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. Have you ever been in a situation when you were talking about someone or something in a way that you knew you shouldn't and then right then they appeared or they turned a corner and you knew that they were there? I have. It's awful. I hate it. Immediately. And it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you just imagine their eyes locking in that moment? After all that had just happened, denying him three times, that look in Jesus and Peter's eyes meet. The text tells us that Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Imagine the sin, the shame, the misery, the embarrassment that must have been present for Peter. And he went away and he wept bitterly. But fortunately, that's not the whole of the story, is it? There's also, I submit to you, a look of love in that. And that Jesus was on his way right at that moment in pity, in mercy, in love, and in compassion intentionally to give himself for Peter and to give himself for those of us who are like Peter, which I submit to you is all of us. Beloved, we are far more like Peter than we are like Jesus, aren't we? Jesus knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. And he has a plan for that, too. 
It gets easy for us to focus on Jesus' prophecy that Peter is going to deny him three times. But what else did Jesus prophesy or promise in this text? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It gets so easy for us to think about the prophecy of Peter's denial. But Jesus also said, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Not if you have turned, but when. Peter fell into grievous sin, didn't he? And we can and do as well. But he ultimately did not fall away. And why? Why didn't Peter ultimately fall away? Why didn't Peter go the way of Judas? It's not because Peter was better or smarter or more deserving in any way. I submit to you there are many things, but two things in particular that even come out of this text. And one is that Peter, or Jesus paid for Peter. The atonement. Jesus was on his way to the cross to pay the penalty for sinners like Peter, to pay in full for all of his rebellion, for all of his self-righteousness, for all of his pride, for all of his hubris, for all of his impatience, for all of it. Jesus was on the way to the cross to pay for it, not only for Peter, but for all who are Jesus's. And the second thing is that Jesus prayed for Peter. He interceded for him. He is the high priest who not only gave himself for his sheep, but is interceding for them and prayed for them. Far more powerful and effectual and eternal than Satan's desire or request for Satan was Jesus' prayer for Peter and the person and work of Jesus laying down his life for him. And so, friends, as you begin a semester full of challenges, full of busyness, full of all kinds of things that are easily to distract you. Let me ask you this. Where is Jesus and what is he doing? I submit to you that he is at the right hand of the Father and that what he's doing right now is interceding for you, that your faith may not fail, that you will be strengthened, that the good work that has begun in you will be completed. If he was not None of us would remain faithful. I submit to you, I would abandon the faith today if Jesus Christ was not on his throne, ruling and reigning and interceding for me, and you would too. The reason why we stay is not because we're so smart or we get it or we're more insightful. It's because our Savior loves us, and he is right now, as we are here gathered together this morning, he is at the right hand of the Father, having conquered our enemies, interceding for us, and that's why we won't fall away. And that's why our faith will not fail. And so allow me, if you will, just to close with a final scene, a peaceful restoration. It really comes from John's Gospel. Post-resurrection, Jesus appears again to Peter, and do you remember what the first thing Jesus said to Peter was after the resurrection? Peace be with you. I submit to you, if my friends betrayed me, that wouldn't be the first thing I said the next time I see him. You knuckleheads. You nincompoops, where were you? Thanks for the help. Thanks for the support. 
not Jesus. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I don't know if Jesus lifted up his hands to do it or what have you, but imagine Peter being able to see his hands. What would he have seen? Peace be with you. He would have seen the marks. That that peace that he is giving, that peace that he is announcing, that peace that he is proclaiming was purchased at a cost. Purchased at the cost of Christ's own blood, of his own life. Jesus hung on a tree. A crucified and condemned death for you, brothers, for you, sisters, for Peter. He hung on that tree for them. And then in John's gospel, it's got a beautiful ending. Not only does Jesus appear and say, peace be with you, but then outside by another fire pit, while they're having some broiled fish, he calls him by his name, Simon, again. And he asks him three times, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Simon, do you love me? Imagine this countermanding the three denials. Yes, I, I do, Lord. Then, then shepherd my sheep, take care of my lambs. And Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Notice how this time Peter isn't really looking at himself. He's saying, you know I do. He's relying on Christ. He's looking at Christ alone. Just as Jesus had promised, Peter is used to restore his brothers. All of the disciples had scattered that day. All of them had left. And Peter is one of the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes back and he is strengthening his brothers. Can you imagine Peter hearing a rooster crow every morning after that? I had a conversation with one of my elders, or one of the elders that I had a privilege to serve with in Colorado, and we talked about that. The text doesn't tell us what that would be like, but roosters continue to crow every morning for the rest of his life. Did he hear it as just a reminder of his denial, a reminder of the law, if you will? and its condemning effect on his life? Or did he also hear the gospel? I prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. I love you. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. Beloved, this Jesus who came to die for us is... The Jesus who rose again to justify us is the Jesus who ascended to rule over us and is the same Jesus who is interceding for you right now at the right hand of the Father. Friends, the Lord prayed for Peter. The Lord prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his high priestly prayer, he said, I'm not only praying for these who are here, but all those who will believe through their word. Guess what? That's you. Insert your own name here. Jesus prayed for you. And where is he right now? He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And it's because of that that we can go forward in freedom, that we can go forward in confidence 
Our sins are forgiven. We are declared righteous. We are adopted and loved beyond our wildest imaginations. We don't have anything to do to earn or merit or contribute to our salvation. It's a gift from beginning to end. You are free. And so go, beloved, this semester in the freedom that you have in Christ to pursue all the things that he has called you to pursue. Know that amidst all the things that are going on in your life, that Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, that your faith may not fail. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the candor of Scripture. We admit that if we would have written Scripture, we would have wanted to make ourselves to look like the heroes. And here we have a real candid look at uh, Peter. And we are more like Peter than we are like Christ. We deny, we are impatient, we are self-righteous, we are self-confident. We thank you that Jesus looked in love and pity upon us and gave his own life that we could have life and have it abundantly. And Father, I pray that you would continue to conform us ever more and more to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the servant. And that we as men and women who are studying to serve in your kingdom in one way or another, that we would have that servant's heart, Father. That we wouldn't seek self-promotion, that we would seek self-sacrifice and self-service. Not to have your favor, but as those who already have your favor. And we thank you for the marvelous reality that right now our Lord and Savior Jesus lives to intercede for us. And having conquered our enemies, sin, Satan, and death, he is right at your right hand, in the flesh, and that there is nothing in all of creation that can ever separate us from your love. May we live and love and serve in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.